We are in a short series called The Dragons Amongst Us. And if you're like, if you're here for the first time, if you've been here, you know what this is all about. If, you, if you're not, this is actually based on a little children's book. And I won't read from it today, but it is a book that is an incredible metaphor for some of the things in our lives that seem small and seem like maybe they're not that big a deal, but they're actually very important. And many of these things actually grow up and grow to be large problems in our lives. And in fact, in this book, this dragon that's ignored uh, just keeps growing and growing till eventually um, he fills the house up and like runs away with the house. This is uh, Billy Bigsby's dragon, right? And it isn't until they acknowledge the dragon and begin to deal with the dragon that the dragon shrinks and goes away. And some of us have dragons in our lives, things that we're not paying attention to, things we're pretending aren't there, things we'd rather not talk about, but things that have the potential to derail our lives, to derail our relationships, to derail sometimes, many times, our walk with God. And so there's this little verse that that kind of sets the stage for this whole series, and that is this. In Proverbs 27, verse 12, it says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. The prudent, those who are wise, those who can see a little ways down the road. And today I want to actually talk about one of these dragons And it's something we rarely talk about here at Life Community. But I want to talk about our relationship with money. It's a dragon for many people. And for so many people, actually, finances are one of the primary, one of the major causes of stress and anxiety in their lives. And for so many, the story is it didn't start that way. Not when you were younger, you know, you're kind of easygoing. But along the way, this little dragon started growing. And before you know it, you look up and you've got a serious issue in your financial life that begins to affect all the other relationships in your life. In fact, uh, statistics tell us that money and our relationship with our money is one of the primary sources of conflict in marriage. A a recent survey shows that it's in the top two causes of divorce. It's the number one thing couples argue about. All right, uh, married folks in the room, have you ever argued with your spouse? A show of hands about money, come on. Never, we have never. Liars sit on the front row at life. No, that's not true. That, on that side. Nobody ever sits on that side. So, <clears throat> It's the number one thing. I mean, we know this, don't we? It's a source of tension. It's a source of strife. In fact, when it comes to just finances and sort of being prepared for what can come in finances, um, some recent statistics are this, and this is, I think, right before the pandemic, and I don't think it's gotten better, and that's this, that 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And for some of you, that's like, ouch, because that's you. In fact, you know, I mean, if we're just talking statistics, that's a lot of you probably, right? 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, where if a paycheck didn't come in, it'd kind of be a pretty big deal in your life. 45, or that was 78%, 45% of Americans have less than $1,000 saved for an emergency. So almost half of the population has less than a thousand saved um, in case something happens. You know, in fact, when it comes to debt in in the U.S., the total personal debt in the United States is at an all-time high of fourteen point nine six trillion, and I believe that number comes from like last October, after uh, the pandemic and everybody spent their stimulus checks, right, and and a little more. Now, that number means nothing to you, $14.6 trillion. It's just like, whew, that's a lot of money, right? But here, here's what that means. Um, when you break it down, the average household has $14,241 worth of credit card debt. That's kind of just normal, average. Um, student loans, the average household, combined household, would, would likely have $58,112 worth of student debt. 
And then the average household has $31,142 of auto debt, car loans, that usually adds up to a car payment for a new car um, for a person of about $577. That's just kind of normal. This is normal life in the U.S. of A. Now, for some of you, are like, well, what's the problem? That's not a big deal. We make those minimum payments. It's all good. You know, we're paying down these things. What's the big deal, right? See, here's how most people are living, actually. And I'm not like an artist. Jason does this, and he's really good. Me? I have two lines to draw. I can do that. There's a line curving that goes up and hopefully to the right. And that is going to represent your income. Okay? Now there's another line here. And that is your expenses. And let me just show what happens with, with most people in the United States of America. Um, this is your income, right? I'll put an I. And this is your expenses. And most of the time, now sometimes it dips and you go, oops, and you go over that line, right? Um, but for most people, when their income goes up, their expenses, you see what that's doing? It's going right up about the same amount, isn't it? Do you like my drawing? Yeah. This is a problem. See, I know some of you are out there, you're going to be arguing with me. You're like, well, what's the big deal? Income's going up. Of course. Like, what's the big deal, right? The big deal is this, that the average American's margin, you see that, that little distance between there and there? That's called margin, okay? And margin is basically the space between your limits and your capacity. Every one of you, you would admit, no matter how much money you make, you have limits, right? Even if you're Elon Musk, you've got limits. They're at the moon, but you've got limits, you know what I mean? There, there might be Mars, but he ain't going to Jupiter, right? <laughs> you've got limits, and most of yours are a little lower than Elon's, right? Um, limits and capacity, and most of your capacity to do something with your finances the amount that you have, the capacity that you have, should be below your limits. And yet, actually, that's not the case in a majority of American households. In a good share of American households, actually, they're regularly bumping up or going above their limits. And as, as their income goes up and to the right, um, their, their margin or their... Uh, their expenses go up and to the right, and they just track along, right? And, and here's why this is a big deal. Like, if everything always went up and to the right, maybe it wouldn't be such a big deal, right? But that's just not the way that life works. I mean, let's just hypothetically um, say, like, what would happen? I don't know if, uh, you know, they shut the whole economy down and printed trillions of dollars. Like, that'll go well, right? <clears throat> And told you, hey, hey, everybody live on stimulus checks for a while, right? And, oh, I don't know, a year or two later, you're going to look up and go, how much does gas cost? How much do groceries cost? See, it doesn't always go up and to the right, does it? If you look back, and you can just follow a chart, here's what happens with economies. Here's what happens is they go up, and then you get in, uh-oh, and I have the feeling that we are about to experience a pretty big uh-oh. I don't know when. But I think our culture is about to experience a pretty big uh-oh. I have a friend back in, uh, we're good friends, we traveled together, and um, he actually uh, did amazing. He, he, he owned a, a luxury Hawaiian shirt company. And I called him when I was about ready, I was trying to do a little side hustle business, start a little business, music gear business. And I called him to get his advice, and, and here's what he told me. He said, don't leverage your, your personal, don't leverage and speculate your personal assets in order to try to grow this business. Just grow it slow. And here's what happened to him. 
oh, oh, 05, 06, 07, like he was going gangbusters. And then this little hiccup came called 08 and 09. You might remember that if you've been alive and paying your own bills for, that, for any length of time. And guess what people don't buy in a recession? Luxury Hawaiian shirts, right? And he had leveraged a whole bunch. He leveraged his home. He leveraged all these things to expand this business. It was going to go to the moon, take off, keep growing. And he ended up losing everything. And through the stress of this whole thing, ended up actually losing his marriage and um, going through a lot of really difficult stuff. And like I said, my guess, I don't know, but my guess is we are coming to a point in history where many people are going to be forced to deal with this dragon in their lives of no margin, of lack of margin. You see, bad things happen when we live too close to our limits. And this is true in, in many areas of our life, not just our finances, right? I mean, when our, when our schedules and our commitments, when we have no margin between our capacity, you know, between what we can do, when we're pushing everything right up to our limits, we're full of stress, anxiety, it, it damages relationships, right? Stress levels go up. Your temper shortens. Have you noticed that about yourself? When you're living with no margin in life, in an area of life, you find yourself fighting with your spouse. Your kids, like, walk on eggshells. You know, the cat scampers past you quickly. Your, your relationship with others suffers, doesn't it? I mean, people have a hard time getting your undivided attention. You, you notice the preoccupation? Then any time that your abilities bump up to your capacity, that you're just pushing it to the limits in your schedule and, and driving your kids around 18 different places, and you're exhausted all the time, your kids don't get your full attention, do they? And, and the same is true. When you're stressed over finances, it affects every area of your life. Your relationship with God suffers. You find it hard to be still and to pray. You just have too much on your mind, too much anxiety. As a follower of Jesus, you know what the Bible says about investing your time and your talent and your treasure in God's kingdom, but there's just no room for it in your life. See, this is a really big issue in a lot of people's lives and in followers of Jesus' lives. And so to help us, I want to look at four principles today that God gave um, almost 3,500 years ago. Four amazing principles. 1,400 years before Jesus was born, God delivered the people of Israel. And he actually took this slave nation. And one of the things, the first things he did was he instituted a set of laws designed actually to create joy and flourishing in this nation that he was forming. There are four things we don't really think about that seriously in modern culture, but we actually ignore these principles. We ignore these instructions at our own peril. Four instructions, four principles that can really bring freedom in our lives. And so if you want to write these four things down, the first one is this, Sabbath. Now you're like, now how does this tie into money? Hold on, I'll, I'll tell you, right? Because here's what the, it says in Exodus 20. Verse 9, one of the first things God does as he takes his people out of slavery is in his top 10 rules for them, he tells them, thou shalt take a day off. Yeah. Check this out. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, in case you want to wiggle out of this and, and you know, make your kids do it all, right? Neither you, nor your son, nor daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. It's just everything shut down. No work. God commands us, thou shalt taketh a dayeth offeth. <laughs> and, and let me just say this, like to a people who all they knew, a people that had come out of slavery, that all they knew was being driven to labor seven days a week. And if you didn't meet your quotas, you literally got beat. This was like a huge sigh of relief, <sighs> right? As a whole society, a huge sigh of relief, but it's also terrifying. Now, you don't think about this because you're an American. You're like, one day, nothing. I got a whole weekend. 
sometimes a three-day weekend, right? And if I work for the government, well, let's not go there, right? <laughs> but in an agri- like a culture, in a culture that's built around agriculture with no refrigerators, uh, this was actually t- kind of terrifying. It was risky because there's all, you think you have a lot to do? Yeah, think about having to like thresh your own wheat and grind it and, you know, milk all the cows. Some of you, I know you do that, but you know what I mean? All that stuff by hand. Do your laundry by hand. This is the culture. And in this culture where literally if you don't always produce, if you don't work hard, you don't eat, literally. God says, hey, I want you to take a pause. I want you to take a day off. You see, here's the principle behind Sabbath. The principle is that Sabbath was faith in action. This is why God did this. He, because he wanted to teach them. It was a demonstration of trust in God. It was a demonstration that, hey, I didn't make you as just a producer. Your, your task on earth isn't just to make more of things. You were created as a, as a human being in the image of God to enjoy him, to enjoy relationship with others. Like life is more than just work. Some of you need to hear that. Life is more than just money, than just achievement, than just what you can get. You can't take it with you when you go. You know that, right? And this is the point behind this. And it's something we, we ignore at our own peril because for two, some people, you just are so driven that you can barely ever sit still. And your relationship with your family is suffering because of it. Maybe you have a broken relationship. You were not designed. You know, they've done, so, they've done studies. People are actually much more productive when they take a day and rest. Much more. You were not designed to go nonstop 24-7. And here's what we've done as a culture. We've shifted over onto this thing of, of like, well, we get weekend, you know. But a lot of you, um, your weekend, you never actually rest. Like weekend is six sports games stacked on top of a trip to the lake. And you get home at the end of it, and you're more exhausted than when you, when you started the weekend, Right? And you, you, you're not so good on Monday, probably, right? This is just the way our culture does it sometimes. The question is, is there ever a point in your life where you rest? And I'm not saying you can't rest at the lake or doing fun activities or at a sports game. But I am saying there's a point where all these things, where everything becomes about achievement and there's never a break where everything becomes about what you can achieve in life. And if you're honest, even your kids, sometimes the sporting activities are about scholarships and they're about all these other things. And they're good things, don't get me wrong, but there's never a pause, there's never a place where you just go, all right, God, I want to connect with you. And I want to connect with these people that you placed in my life and, and build relationship here. Sabbath is faith in action. It's a demonstration of trust in God. The second interesting thing that we barely ever hear about in modern society is this. It's gleanings. Now imagine this, a, a complete, like I said, a subsistence culture with, you know, no refrigerators. You can't store anything for long. Um, and almost all the people in this culture, by our standards today, live in abject poverty. Like if you went back and looked at their lifestyle, you'd go, man, they, they are so, they, they're just, they're living in poverty, right? And if you were a farmer, which most of these people made, you know, it was a society where most of what you made came from flocks you could raise or it came from grain that you could grow. And, and you would take that and you would sell that and, and that would allow you then to, you know, buy the things you needed. And in this, when you hear about gleanings, here's what gleanings were. They were fruit, right? They were olives. They were grain that they were harvesting that was still good, but some of it would get knocked off the sheaf and it would fall on the ground. And here's what God instituted. Check this out. To this people who actually had so little that we would think, man, they need every little tiny bit. Here's what God says. Leviticus Leviticus 19.9. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field, or gather the gleanings of your harvest. 
when you go out and you, and you reap, some of it's going to fall on the ground. Don't gather that up. Just leave it on the ground. You're like, really? I can't go to the edges of my field? But that's, that's money. I'm leaving money on the ground. I'm, I'm just walking away. I own that. And God's going to say, no, actually, I own it all. You're just managing it for me. But I want you to just leave it. Yeah, just walk away. Leave it there. Verse 10, do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. So there's a heart of compassion. I don't want you in this instance to take it to the limits because I want you to leave something for someone else. I want you to leave some of it. And how does he end this little section? I am the Lord your God. What's the implication? Trust me. In fact, in Deuteronomy, when Moses is repeating these laws, he'll tell them, hey, God, God, he'll remind them, God says, do this so that I may bless you. Like, as you do this, I know your temptation is going to be to go to the very edges and, and scrape every little, little last bit you can get in. You got to trust me here. You want to experience my blessing in life. God says, don't go through it twice. Trust me. See, he's teaching them the difference between greed and sufficiency. A good question to ask yourself, and I know a lot of you have never asked this, but how much is enough? See, our culture has no limit to that, right? Maybe we think, well, Elon. But apparently Elon's still trying to make money too. I don't know. Last I checked. How much is enough? When is enough enough? Not something we ask very often. Really, it feels very un-American to even ask that question, right? Enough? What do you mean? How much is enough? See, in our culture, we want to just like, we want to go all the way. We want to take everything to the limit. And God says, no, I want you to leave some margin there. Not like, Okay, that's tracking up that way. I, I want, actually, let's just let that one track up there for a while. And why don't, why don't you just let this one level off a little bit here? Why don't you leave some more space? Leave some more room in there. See, our culture says, hey, we want to take it to the limit. We want to squeeze out every last bit we can, right? We want to go over those fields two or three times, get every penny that's ours. Maybe it's with debt, it's like, hey, we want to take our lifestyle to the max, to the limit, right? I want to take my lifestyle to the limit. We want to get as much house as we can. We want to drive as much car as we can. And see, God knows something that a better place to live is with margin. Because when family finances are maxed out, all of a sudden, an unexpected bill becomes a trigger that many times goes on to unravel a marriage, right? An unexpected turn in the gas price, an unexpected raise in inflation all of a sudden, what otherwise wouldn't have been a big deal, is a pretty big deal. Because there's just no margin. There's no space. There's no room where you can actually breathe, right? And it isn't just money, is it? I mean, this applies to so many different areas of our life. When our, when our schedules are so crazy, there's just no joy in life. You're just doing too much. You're not even enjoying the recreational things you do so many times because you're so worried about the next thing, right? Relationship begin to suffer because parents are just so busy rushing around. Everybody's doing what they're, you know, they think they need to do to make it, to, to get up to the next rung, to get that next promotion, to get that next achievement in sports. See, when, when we learn to live with margin in our lives, we demonstrate that we can trust God actually to step in and fill the gaps. It's an issue of trust, the same as the Sabbath ultimately is about trusting God. You see, if I don't always do everything I can do, you know, there's a difference between what you should do and what you can do. That's really hard. Can I admit that's hard for me? I'm pretty driven, type A, right? And it's hard for me to dial it back and go, I could do that. I could stay that extra hour, but should I? 
And in the areas where we choose because we think the, the, the path of wisdom, remember life a lot of times has a lot of like areas of gray where we go, well, I don't think it's sinful, but a better question in that area is, is it wise? Is it wise in this time of my life? Is it wise where my family's at? Is this wise? When I consider this opportunity, when I consider this thing that's been placed before me, is it a wise thing to do? And when we choose no, because we believe wisdom is saying, hey, don't, you don't have to take it to the limit. It gives God, actually, it, it, it speaks trust in God that, God, I trust you can fill in the gap. I trust that you can make up the difference. I trust that if I leave some on the ground, that you'll be able to take care of me. It's about trust in God, ultimately. Now, the third principle that you see in, uh, in the Old Testament is the principle, the instruction of the tithe. And if you don't know what a tithe is, a tithe is basically a tenth. And here's what it says in Leviticus 27.30. It says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And so God institutes this principle of the tithe in, in his people. And, and again, imagine this, because they're an agrarian society that's living on what we would consider just so little and he says, actually, I want you to take, in other parts of the scriptures, it's called the first fruits, right? Which means, hey, I want you to take the first portion, and I want you to set it aside and dedicate this to God. And they would end up using that to support. They would take 10%, sometimes um, when you read the different things, up to 20%. They would store it in a, in a jar or in a box. And then they would give that to support the religious institutions of the day and society and the poor. And God says, I want you to live this way because I want you to learn something. As you take the first fruits, and, and if you know a poor family might actually convert that to money and place it in a jar up on, uh, you know, up on the, the windowsill or something, and save that portion. And as you looked at that portion, it was a reminder to you and a reminder to your children that I don't have to live on everything that comes in. That it's not all about me, actually. That I can live on less then comes in. It was a visual reminder to the family. Hey, we choose not to consume everything that comes in. Actually, this is, you know, um, throughout the Old Testament, God, God speaks about the tithe, right? And, and one of the most famous passages is, is in Malachi, where he actually challenges his people who had sort of blown this thing off, right? And he says, I challenge you to bring the whole tithe in and test me and see if, you won't, if, if I won't open the doors of heaven and pour out blessing." Now, when it comes to this principle, I think um, this has been taught in so many different legalistic ways. And it's been taught in manipulative ways. Which is, if you give God one, he's going to give you ten back, you know. If you want to succeed and be prosperous, you better do this. Which I think is manipulation. But the flip side of this, and don't miss the spiritual component, is I think there is something about generosity in our lives that actually invites the activity of a living, active God to be active in that area of our lives. I do believe that. I've seen that in so many people. And so it's not a manipulation thing, and it's not a, hey, God, you, you do this, and God's going to guarantee and pour out That's oftentimes preached in a very manipulative way, right? But it's a principle. It's something that has proven powerful. In fact, uh, I read this really interesting book by a, a rabbi, Ra Rabbi Daniel Lapine. And he talks about the principle of tithing. It's called Thou Shalt Prosper, the Ten Commandments for Making Money. And he actually, he delves into this and he says, like, why have the Jewish people, for all the tragic circumstances that they've encountered over the years, they've consistently prospered financially? And, and he goes on to develop this, and he says, it's basically because built into the ancient Hebrew culture, there was a sense of financial margin that just because it comes in doesn't mean it has to go out. Just because it comes in doesn't mean I have to consume everything. 
And I firmly believe that one of the most powerful things you can teach your children is this discipline. I have a really simple three-word um, practical statement that I think if you just do this, like, kind of covers the basis. You'll probably do it pretty well. Give, save, live. In that order. Give, save, live. That you give first and you give on purpose. This is something we're teaching our kids. This is something I've done since I was a kid that my parents taught me. That, that when, when that comes in, when that dollar comes in, I'm going to take the first dime and I'm going to put it in a giving envelope or a giving jar. We're working with this with our kids. It's hard, isn't it? Because they get 10 bucks and they're like, that's a whole dollar. Yeah, that's why you start with a dollar when it's a dime. Dime doesn't seem like so much, right? But this is one of the most powerful things. If, if you, you know, just learn to be generous first, it helps actually free you in your life to, there's this weird thing that happens where you learn that I don't have to live on everything that comes in. I can have margin in my life. The second part of that is save, which is pay yourself first. Pay your future self first. Your future self will love you for it. And if you, like, simple, keep it real simple for kids. Hey, a dime in the giving jar, a dime in the savings jar. You do that, and guess what? You're going to learn a powerful principle, and that's called, you're going to look in that jar and go, wow, there's money in there. That's amazing. Your future self's going to look and go, there's money in there, and you're going to figure out that if I save for things, I can get to better places in life, right? And then the rest of it, you live on. You choose to live on. And I'm just telling you, like, Super simple. If you just do that, um, you're, you're going to probably do okay. It's one of the most powerful things you could do. See, here's an illusion that so many people in their life, when it comes to finances, they tell themselves. And that's this illusion that if I just had more, then I'd give. You know, actually, statistically, as people's income goes up into six figures, they actually give less as a percentage all across the U.S., and that's because the tendency, when you don't start this stuff small, is you look at the numbers as they begin to get a little bit bigger, and there's this little greed thing that kicks in that goes, hey, yeah. or more often, you've not built any margin into your life, and it's like, well, there's just not any left. There's no margin in that, right? John D. Rockefeller was known as being um, one of the wealthiest people, perhaps the wealthiest person in U.S. history, and he once said this. He said, I would have never been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which is $1.50 per week. And as I've, you know, studied finance over the years, and let me just say, um, this isn't a, like, guilt thing of give to the church. No. Actually, I think this is something I've done for years. This is something I'm teaching my kids because I think it really is good for you. It frees you. And if this is your first time, you're like, oh, great, in the church. They're doing the t giving talk. Oh, no. I should have known. I told you. Just ask one of your friends that's been coming here a while. Like, we almost never talk about it. We don't even take an offering. Okay? So this isn't a guilt thing. This is something I want for you, not from you. And that is this, I, this, this freedom of investing in God's kingdom. Because, look, it's something you know, right? You know. Something Jesus talks about. Where, where do you want your treasure to be? Where your treasure is, there your heart is? Something you know. But so many Christians never get around to doing it. So many people never give on purpose. See, when you give, save, live, you give on purpose first. And it's a joy. You give on purpose. So many Christians only give on accident which is when you see something and, you know, we do a missions offering, and that's great, and your heart's moved and you throw some money in, maybe a big check. But you know the person that gives faithfully on purpose year after year, small amounts? Those are people that have funded the work of the kingdom of God for generations and millennia now. All right, fourth one. You ready? This one probably is going to get somebody in the room, I'm sure. Debt. Debt. Now, this is interesting, and here's, here's, what, here's where we see debt come in, in the Old Testament. 
Um, Deuteronomy 23.19 says, Do not charge a fellow Israelite interest, whether on money or on food or anything else that may earn interest. So he's saying, hey, I want you to actually lend, because we know, especially in a culture like this, hard things are going to happen. There's going to be times when your, your neighbor, when, you're, you know, when your brother or sister is in need, I want you to actually lend to them. But for your, for your fellow um, Israelites here, you don't charge any interest. Don't charge interest. And see, there's something deeper that's going on. You're like, okay, well, what's going on here? Well, here, here's what's going on here. I think the, uh, Solomon brings it out maybe better than anyone. In Proverbs 27 or 22.7, when he says, the borrower is a slave to the lender. And see, there's a relationship with our money when we go into dumb debt that turns into slavery. And many of you have experienced this, as have I, right? In fact, this is illustrated really clearly in 2 Kings, where there's a wife of one of the uh, prophets who dies, and she cries out to Elisha and says, my husband's dead, and, uh, and now the creditor has come to take my two children as slaves. Like a literal, in this kind of culture, where you were a debtor, you would either go to debtor's prison or you would have to become an indentured service to pay off your debt. And so whether it's literal slavery or metaphorical slavery, if you've been in debt, you know the feeling of slavery to that debt as those interest payments rack up and grow higher, right? We just, what did we start out talking about? Average American credit card debt, $14,241. Average interest, I think I saw somewhere around like 17%. And if you've ever been in, in debt like that, maybe some of you are and struggling right now. If you've ever been in debt like that, you know how hard it is as you see the payment, you make the payment, and the payment just isn't doing anything. It's going down that much. And it's frustrating, right? See, this dragon usually starts out small in people's lives. Probably started small, didn't it? It started with multiple small charges that ends up turning into mountains of debt. It was a new pair of jeans that you just needed. I mean, you needed them. I, I know. I got it. It was that latte or that hundredth latte. All right, here's what it was for me. I was in my 20s. And I was going to go make it in music. And so I funded several months of living in Denver and eating Chipotle burritos and Subway sandwiches and staying up till 3 a.m. in a studio on a credit card. And I, guess what? My career didn't go where I thought it was going to go. The record deal didn't come in. I didn't. I sold like 100 copies of the record. Like, what was going on? And I spent years, this happened in my 20s, I spent years, a good portion of into my 30s, digging out of that. Thankfully, it didn't get too high. And some of you, you know that you feel the pain of that right now because that's the place that you're in. And it's hard and it's painful. You know, it's one monthly subscription. It's only $14.99. But here's what happens. It's so easy to make that, dis that decision 50 times. 20 times. And all of a sudden you're looking up and you're like, that's real money. That's like, that's half, that's half of a small mortgage. Not in Grand Junction, but you know. It's so easy. And just so many people, it just happens on accident, doesn't it? The Bureau of Labor Statistics says the average American spends $3,459, almost $3,500 on food away from home, eating out in a year. Do that a couple of years, that's a pretty decent car. Now, I'm not saying don't eat out. We've got, we love our restaurant owners. And but I'm saying if you're in this place where you're buried in debt, it's, it's something you need to begin to pay attention to. Because as Solomon says, the, the debtor is a slave to the lender, right? And here's what happens. Everything's going along. Everything's going along fine. And then, uh-oh, something happens. A layoff happens. Something happens. A transmission goes out. And before you know, you go more into debt. And before you know, you go more into debt. And then you look up one day, and you're 
losing your home, you're going into bankruptcy, you're losing a relationship because of the stress of all this in your life. See, these are how dragons grow. See, most people don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. I, I didn't plan to get into all that debt on burritos. How stupid, right? I could have made bean burritos at home in the apartment, right? I didn't plan that. It's the unwise student debt that just gets maxed out, where you're like, well, I could borrow 20,000, or they're offering me 30. I could borrow 30. Why not borrow 30, right? And you got your degree in basket weaving. <laughs> you are making a killing, aren't you? It's that house, and the question isn't like, because um, I know how it goes, right? It's like, how much did they approve us for? Wow. And all of a sudden, your budget goes up to here. You're like, well, that's going to be a little stretch, but they approved us for it. And before you know it, there's a saying, what goes up must come down. Some of you learned that the hard way. <laughs> I think a lot of people in our nation, I don't know, I don't have a crystal ball, but I think a lot of people in our nation are going to learn that the hard way in the next year or two. It's just my gut feeling. See, most people don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. Here's your steps. If you're in debt, I want to give you some real practical steps. One of them is just the first thing you got to do is save an emergency fund. Because here's what happens. Like the average, what was it, 45% of the country doesn't have $1,000 in the bank. I mean, you got to like quit, shut down all the unnecessary things and work, work, work to get 1000 bucks in the bank. And then build that up to having six months, three to six months of expenses in the bank. That's called an emergency fund, right? Because here, it's called, anybody heard of Murphy's Law? An emergency fund is Murphy Insurance. Because Murphy's Law happens. Bad things happen. Your transmission will go out at some point. Let me just tell you that, okay? Like, there will be a two, $3,000, oops, unexpected thing. So you got to build an emergency fund. Then you got to pay off your consumer debt. We call this dumb debt. And I'm not talking about your mortgage. Although, you know, if you are way over leveraged in a mortgage, now might be a great time to sell. I'm just saying. Um, let me just give you a simple t step. I don't have time to get to it tonight. But you got to want to do this and you got to make a plan to do this or you won't make any progress. And, and if you want to, uh, RamseySolutions.com forward slash get slash started. Can you remember that? Write it down. RamseySolutions.com forward slash get slash started. And hey, let me tell you, I know some of you, when I bring up Dave Ramsey, you're like, ah, I don't really like Dave Ramsey's investment advice. I did a teaching on this a few years ago, and a financial advisor came and gave me static. Okay. Let me just say, let me just say, like, pay off your dumb debt and save a six-month emergency fund. Let's talk about investment strategies, okay? I don't even do, I don't, I don't agree with everything Dave Ramsey says either. But let me tell you, you will get, make progress doing it his way. Like a plan is better than no plan. And he's really thought this thing through. And the baby steps of how to get there and how to find some financial freedom in your life. Yeah, I mean, and so making fun of something, if you're sitting there buried in debt with no, no emergency fund, um, nitpicking on the details, probably not wise, right? It was like me commenting on, on my uh, friend's CrossFit program and how he could be better in shape when he's ripped. It's like, that doesn't make sense, right? You may think you know a better route, but I'm going to go with the guy that actually showed he knows how to get in shape. Let's try it. And so I'm saying, you may have a better strategy. Go get that done, then come back, and I'll tell you some of the tweaks that I've discovered, right? And one more thing when it comes to debt, and it's this. you got to learn this, and this is also one of the best things you can teach your kids Deferred gratification. That they need to know this term. It's one of the most powerful things you can teach them. Is not no, but not yet. You want that thing? Great. Get a job. Not yet. You want that thing? You need to say this to yourself too, some of you. You want that thing? Great. Guess what? The 18-month no interest plan? 
Not a good idea. Not yet. Because Murphy has a way of coming along and your best of intentions have a way of not working out. Not yet. Learn that, okay? See, you know this with your kids, don't you? You're like, yeah, teach them that, right? Why is it so difficult for you and me? Why is it so difficult? See, I believe there's a root cause behind our culture's acceptance of living with no margin when it comes to our financial lives. Behind our compulsion to live so close to what we can do, to take it to the limits, right? I believe actually that primary motivating factor and root cause is fear. Fear. Fear of missing out. I don't want to miss out on something. I don't want my children to miss out on something. If I told my kid, we can't do six sports this year, just one, he might not make it. It's fear. Fear of missing out continually leads us to add and spend. Fear of falling behind. We fear falling behind everyone else. We fear, like some of you, you've been in this place of trying to impress people who really don't even care about you. And if you look at the root underlying motivation of the reason why you spent so much, the reason why you pushed so hard, the reason why you stacked your schedule the way you stacked it, it is to get a level of status um, that people who, you, you think they're watching you, but they're not. It's a fear of falling behind. You've never even actually stopped to ask, is what I'm striving for and spending so much for what I really even want? The fear of not being perceived as a success. If I don't live on the edge, I won't get as much done. I won't amount to anything. I won't be a leader in my area. And see, that fear of of not being successful has the the potential to draw us away from what matters most in life. And the fear of being perceived as successful has the tendency to draw us into behaviors that lead us into slavery, not freedom. And distress and anxiety. Jesus comes along 1,400 years later. And he makes an incredibly powerful point. Verse 31 of Matthew chapter 6, he says this, so do not worry. You're like, really, Jesus? I don't think you understand my life, the pressure. I don't think you understand my industry. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Clothing were very expensive then. For the pagans run after all these things, and listen, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. See, God knows. He knows your actual needs. He knows the emotional needs of your heart. He knows, and he cares. And ultimately, this all comes down to trust. Can I trust you, God? Can I trust you not to to take it to the limits in order to be perceived as a success and to feel better about myself? Can Can I trust you? And can I live with some margin in my life and trust that you're going to make it up? Trust that you're going to fill in the gaps. Your heavenly father cares about you. He cares about you. And Jesus goes on to say this, but instead, don't worry But instead, seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. See, that worry, that stress, that anxiety, that thing that drives you to constantly live so close to your limits, actually, the stress of all that keeps you from focusing on the things that matter the most, including, God, how does my life relate to your kingdom? What did you put me here on earth to do? What if instead of worrying about money all the time, you could actually spend that same energy in prayer and asking Jesus, how do you want me to invest my life? I love the way Dave Ramsey puts it. He says, live like nobody else now so that later you get to live and give like nobody else and find the joy of that. 
Seek first his kingdom. So what do you do with this? I think the first thing is acknowledge there's a dragon. Some of you, you've just been going, yeah, I'll get to it. It's not that big a deal. But it just keeps growing. The debt keeps growing. The stress keeps growing. Got to acknowledge it. Ask yourself, what is driving me to constantly live my life with no margin? What is that underlying thing? What is it that I'm so afraid of? Is it just that I'm really addicted to comfort? Why won't I defer pleasure? Why do I have to have it now? Why am I doing that? Am I just doing this to please my dad? What am I doing? What's driving me to view my stuff as as if it was all put in my lap just for me? Second is make a plan. People don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. And if you're in one of these spots, let me just say, especially if you're young, if you're in your teens or 20s, man, if you can get this now, you're going to be light years ahead. You're going to save yourself so much pain and heartache if you can get this now. Build some margin. Begin to give on purpose, not just on accident. And maybe for some of you, hey, you've got this money thing dialed in. Now, I know in this congregation, a lot of you guys do. We have some very successful people here that have followed these principles. Some of the most successful people I know started out with nothing, following these principles, and are doing amazing. You've got the money thing dialed in, but there's no margin in your stress levels and in your schedule. You're just driven. And you know it's hurting your family. It's hurting your relationships. Maybe it's time to stop and ask, what's driving me? And reprioritize some things. Would you stand? Lord Jesus, I pray that as we address this thing that is a real dragon in many people's lives, that you would give the grace, that you would give um, hope, that you would give vision, that those that need it would have the motivation, Lord, to to get out of debt, to begin to live their lives for your kingdom, to begin to feel a sense of freedom in this area, Lord. And for that person that, you know, it's not the money thing, but there's other things that are driving them, would you give them that grace to let go of that? Thank you for the incredibly faithful, amazing, generous people in this congregation, Lord. And thank you for the work that's being done in your kingdom here and around the world because of them. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.